if you're just with us for the first time. We're working through a series looking at one of the books in the Bible, 1 Peter, first letter of Peter, and uh, we're working through that over a number of weeks. We started it before Christmas. As we look at it, the opening few verses of 1 Peter tell us where the letter is written to. To God's select exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's where it's to. We probably don't recognize many of those names, but the, uh, if you look on a map, the territory that the letter was sent to was part of modern-day Turkey, which is up in the background of the uh, header slide, which we, uh, you can see as the slide on the download page if you want to catch up with some of the past messages. In one sense, that's helpful. In another, that, that idea that it was a geographical location, I think, helps us. I think sometimes we think about the Bible as being this kind of disjointed thing that almost doesn't relate to reality. But here we've got a letter which was written to real people who lived in a real location in a part of the world that we can now identify and say it was sent to there. Uh, And it was sent to these various places dotted around uh, this location uh, and they would have been gathering in groups very similar to this kind of gathering today. New churches that had been established that had heard the message of Jesus and we've called this series Compelled because as they heard the message of Jesus, these individuals had been compelled to live very differently as a result of that message, not just affecting their minds, but affecting their very being and therefore affecting their lives, their belief systems, their decision-making, the priorities in life. The whole of their life was reorientated when they came to faith in Jesus. Uh, If that's what happened back then, one of the things that I find amazing is that that's what continues to happen today. It continues by the power of God's Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The message of Jesus comes to us and it compels us. It grabs a hold of us uh, and we realize this is not kind of learning uh, a set of instructions uh, in one of our, in, in maths or English or something like that in school. It's not like we're just understanding uh, a series of instructions. It's something which grabs hold of our very being. And many of us here this afternoon are able to say, I have become compelled to become a follower of Jesus. And that's great. But it doesn't just leave us there, does it? What does it really mean to live compelled as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus spoke and taught for three years. We've got those accounts in the Gospels, but really it's the subsequent letters that give the instruction, gives us uh, a guidance, presents to us, if you like, a script of uh, a presentation of life compelled as a follower of Jesus. And so here we are this afternoon, We're not in modern-day Turkey. We're not 2,000 years ago either. We are today, 21st century Castleford, reading in English pretty much the same words that were originally written in Greek, 
received by a church, and here we are today saying, okay, what does this mean for me today? How am I, therefore, compelled to live differently? How do I live? Because the message of Jesus has grabbed a hold of me. Alternatively, we might be here this afternoon saying, I've got a friend, or I've searched online, or I've been thinking about, and I've arrived here, and I'm in a company of people who believe this. So rather than being, if you like, uh, a believer who is saying, how do I live? You might be looking on and saying, well, what are the implications if I commit myself to this Jesus who is, I'm actually finding that he is grabbing hold of me in my mind, in my heart, the way I'm thinking, in my being, it's grabbing hold of me bit by bit. What are the implications? What does it mean for me to live? I actually think that that is probably one of the, one of the most important questions that we can ask. It, it's a question which is a hot-button issue in the, in the idea of the impact of religion uh, or, tr- or faith ideas on the lives of people. We've seen it tragically, haven't we, over the past week. What does it mean to live according to a belief system? And one of the things that in that kind of big picture of common grace and goodness, I think we can probably see that there is a desire in, in, in the idea of deity and religion to live in, in a good way. And yet we also see the conflict repeated through history that religious belief also exposes, for many people, problems of the heart which become issues of power and issues of dominance over others. And we see, we've seen that tragically. What does the Christian message speak to us today, and therefore how we should live. Well, Peter has been writing to these Christians, and we now enter into, um, if you like, three stratas of living appropriately. In a sense, we can take a simple reading of what we've looked at this afternoon. From ver- We're going to be dealing with verse 13 through to verse 17, where it says this, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves." Show proper respect for everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. That's strata one. In a sense, Peter is saying, how do you live appropriately as a citizen of the empire? That's the big picture. Next week, we're going to turn to a really kind of difficult, potentially challenging area where we look at the issue where Peter starts talking to people who are slaves. How do we live appropriately as slaves? And you think, hang on a sec. Well, come back next week and we'll deal with that one next week. But it's, it's, it's there. He's speaking and he's saying this is how to live. Strata two in the area of the authority is not the emperor, 
the authority is my immediate master. Uh, And then strata three, another issue, which is a great challenge, in family relationships, husband and wives. There's three stratas where there is relationship and there is authority that is being described in the culture of the day. So here we have simple reading. We could take verse 13 to 17 in simple terms at the macro level. Peter is saying, we could kind of bracket it a little bit. He's saying this, Verse 16, live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. That's, that's uh, if you like, that's a repeat of a reminder of who you are as a believer in Jesus. He's saying, remind yourselves you are free, but you live within the empire. So, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperors, the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him. So here we've got this way where Peter is saying in simple terms, we could walk away and say there is one message that we could simply take away from this, which translates from living in the Roman Empire right the way through to living today and saying quite simply this, in simple terms, a Christian way of living is appropriately to honor the society that we live in. Simple. That's not quite that simple though, is it? Because this is actually packed. When we get a little bit deeper, this is packed with all sorts of questions and challenges and complications. Not least, the way Peter opens this up, submit your, yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor, let's just pause it there for a minute. Peter is saying, now let's get from the simple reading, let's look at the complex reading. He's saying to a group of people who are hearing about the emerging persecution of people who believe in Jesus by the emperor, under the emperor's authority, he is saying, I want you to live subject submitting yourselves to that emperor. That is, that is mind-blowing, isn't it? Really. That there are potentially two periods of time in which this letter could have been written. I, I tend to take that it was written fairly early on, in which case it was written under the uh, under the emperorship of Nero. Nero was brutal, ruthless, horrific. There is the kind of, whether it's true that he played the fiddle while Rome was burning, you've heard that kind of anecdote given towards Nero uh, and then later blamed the Christians for all of the uh, upheaval in the city. Whatever, what we do know is that routinely Nero used people as human torches to light his garden parties. 
we know that his horrific behavior was again and again and again directed towards Christians. It might have been that it was written later. It was possibly written under Domitian, which really doesn't make a great deal of difference because his behavior was as challenging and offensive and ruthless and brutal towards those who were believers in Jesus. Do you see, when we start to move ourselves from 21st century, nice cutesy reading of this little section, and we place ourselves in the actual situation back there, do you realize how dramatic is the writing of Peter when he says to these individuals, submit yourselves to that authority. An authority which is brutalizing you as believers in Jesus. It kind of, it just changes, or it should change. It should, it, it should confront us that our idea of living honorably is not simply living honorably when everything's going our way. But rather, it's living honorably, living worthily, living good lives, when actually the most horrific things might well be happening. That's what Peter is saying. He is not writing a nice, easy letter. He's saying that you're to live that way in what could be heading your way terrible times. So let's see. Why is it dramatic what he writes? What, how does it inform us of how we should live? Look at what he says. Firstly, submit yourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what he actually says. He, he puts it in a slightly different way. He says it like this. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ, submit yourself to every human authority, whether to the emperor. That's massive. What he's saying is, what you're doing in your submission is an honor to Jesus. You live your life in a way which is reflecting the submissive servanthood life that Jesus came to live, bearing in mind that Jesus was the one who was falsely accused. He was the one who was finally uh, crucified, having gone through uh, a kangaroo court uh, with all sorts of false accusations, and then finally being crucified and killed on a cross as a servant to us. Therefore, you live as a servant to those around you. Not because of the power and the authority of the emperor, but because of the authority of Jesus. Imagine if we left and we said, right, the authority of Jesus is going to govern my good conduct, my appropriate behavior in life, 
in, in every sphere of human activity. In, in the society that I live in. That would be an amazingly radical thing, wouldn't it? But look at also what he says. It, it, it actually says a tremendously powerful thing. He says, submit yourself to the Lord's sake to every human authority, which includes the emperor. What existed at this particular time is known as the imperial cult. From Augustus, right the way through, various emperors, there is this notion, this idea, that rested in the power of the emperor is divine power. To the point where the emperor is borderline, depending on how different emperors expressed it, uh, borderline deity himself. So certainly the emperor was divine power, and in many cases the emperor claimed deity himself. Now look at what Peter actually says. He says, submit yourself to the true divine power and authority, which is Jesus. And every other power and authority is human power. Do you see how powerful that is? He's saying in a, in a society, in an empire, which is actually claiming the power of the divine in the emperor, you, you serve that, you honor that, but not because you believe it's divine power, but because you know I'm divine power, Jesus says. I'm the divine power, I'm the divine authority, and here we have human powers, human authorities, which come and go, which actually, as he says, they have a responsibility to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do good. He's actually saying there is a responsibility on those human powers to support good and to condemn evil. Now, as, a, as, a, as somebody listening to that, you'd be thinking, yeah, but they're not. They're, they're commending evil and condemning good. What do I do with that? Well, Jesus says, well, continue to submit because I'm the divine power. It, it actually turns upside down our security. Our security tends to be What's this world like? How is it affecting me? It's that reminder again, look, remember, I am the one who is the divine, supreme power and authority. They have a responsibility. They will be responsible to me one day. You continue to do good. You continue to honor powers around you, but you continue to do good. With that caveat, for the Lord's sake, in other words, there might be moments when you are called to do something, you are requested to do something which is not to the Lord's sake. Then who is your authority? Is it Jesus? Or is it Caesar? 
Which is it? Peter is saying, you remember that it is, it is Jesus who is the supreme authority. All of the powers of human powers, do honor them, serve them, do good. But when it comes to the crunch, when it comes to the issue of which is honoring to Jesus, then this is where I stand. I, I, I will stand on this because he is my supreme authority. I will not confront. I will not attack. I will, not ch- I will, I will live a life which is seeking to do good which is seeking to live as honorable citizens in the society in which I live, I will seek to serve. And when the crunch comes, Jesus is my supreme authority. One of the great leaders, I think it was Polycarp, he's an older man. He's about 84. And he was called as a, a... in his 80s, he was called to renounce his faith. He had done nothing wrong in civil terms. He had served people all around him. And he was called under the emperor's authority to renounce his faith and to honor the emperor. And he said, I've served Jesus for years. He has done me no wrong. And it is him I will continue to serve. And he lost his life. Do you see see that model of just this kind of living that was lived out in Polycarp at, at that aged point in his life? Having served those around him continually, consistently, he lived out this. He honored society. He didn't provoke. He didn't confront. But when he was finally called to decide which is the supreme authority, is it Jesus or is it the emperor? He said, I've served Jesus. He is my my supreme authority and he is the one who I will die for. So the first thing that we see is Caesar was to be honored but Jesus was to be recognized as supreme authority. Second thing we see is that we introduce, we are reminded again that we have been given in Jesus freedom. Sound a bit like William Wallace there, didn't it? Freedom. We have been given, that's just been lost on a whole load of people who haven't seen Braveheart. One or two people went, yeah, I remember that moment. We have been given in Jesus freedom. That's what is introduced here. We see it, don't we, in a verse, uh, where are we? Verse 16, live as free people. Live as free people. We don't understand in our society, how powerful that was. The idea of living freely. 
across the empire under the idea of an imperial cult, everything centered on being part of a society which supported the common good. We, we might not actually, although many of us would have lived in true slavery, uh, but all of us would have lived under the slavery of the empire. We lived for the common good of the well-being of the empire. It was put like this. Uh, <clears throat> Caesar, Caesar was to be honored. And that the notion of the imperial cult was so powerful that all of the empire lived to, as slaves to a greater or lesser extent. All of the empire lived as slaves. The imperial cult of Augustus, continuing on from there, was so inseparable, listen to this, was so inseparable from that of Rome's official deities whose cult was essential to Rome's survival. The cult of the, the empire was essential to Rome's survival. And those who neglected it were guilty of treason. And Jesus says, and Peter says, following on from the message of Jesus, you are free. You're free. You are no longer under the power and the authority of that incredible power of Rome. You've got freedom. You actually have been released from the power of this world. Now, what he's actually saying, therefore, is this. But because you have been given that freedom, don't use it for evil. Use it for good. So here we have this idea of freedom as being introduced. You know, in Rome, nobody voted for the emperor. Nobody voted to see who, who's, who's next emperor. There was not some sort of um, across the whole of the empire vote to decide whether it was going to be Domitian, whether it was going to be Nero, the various emperors that went that brought havoc. And, and these Christians are, are told, you're free from that. But that freedom doesn't give you the opportunity to therefore do evil. That freedom gives you the opportunity to serve. Why? Because your freedom doesn't become an autonomous freedom. It actually becomes another servanthood. It becomes a servanthood to God. You've been given freedom, but live as God's slaves. Do you see the, do you see the change that takes place? Living then gave you a freedom, but that freedom did not give you the opportunity to live an anarchic life. It said right now, your new master is God in Jesus. It's not as though the power and the authority that you were once under that you've now been released from means that you or I have the power now and the authority. 
It means that we have a new power, a new authority. Why is that freedom? It's freedom for this reason. Under the regime of the empire, under the regime of the power of Caesar, the whole of your life is controlled by that. Right the way through. Up to the point where you might lose your life if you stand opposed to it. So why does the power of Jesus give us a freedom? Quite simply, because the power of the intervention of Jesus in this world does not limit His authority simply to the few years that we exist on this planet. The freedom that we have in Him extends into eternity. We live as eternal beings under His freedom. We are controlled, we are limited in this world, but true freedom is in Him. So here we have these individuals who are told, basically, you are to live serving society, serving those around you, giving honor to a power which might come and oppose you, giving honor and glory to those around you, but ultimately you see Jesus as your supreme authority. What what does that mean for us today? How, How do we move this to 21st century Great Britain. Well, the first thing is this. We live, don't we, in a completely different world. We don't live in an autocracy for a start. We don't have a supreme power which is not voted for. We live in a democracy. We live in a democracy where there is freedom for us to be involved in the whole of the process of the future, well, some argue we have the opportunity to be involved, in the future governance of the land in which we live. So how do we move that idea back then to to this idea now? I, I would suggest it works something like this. Just because we live in the freedom of a democracy doesn't mean that we move the power from up there to in here. We live still with Jesus as the supreme authority of our lives. So those ebbs and flows of political power, those ebbs and flows of authority, does not change the fundamental way in which we live in our society, which is quite simply this. As powers come and powers go, as emperors come and emperors go, as political parties come and political parties go, we still live our lives with an attitude of servanthood in the society in which we live. However that changes, yeah, of course we can be involved in, in as individuals in political life, in the whole I guess in here we'll probably have a range of different political views. 
All of that is totally appropriate in a democratic society. But ultimately, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that it's Jesus who is still our ultimate authority. That's where we go wrong. We think that everything is contained only within this life, this world, this society. We lose sight. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the one who has has his hand on all of the events of this world. Yes, even to the point where there is the raising of a Nero, where there is the raising of a Domitian, who, who oppose the message of the gospel, who persecute people who believe in Jesus. Peter's saying, look, Jesus is supremely in control. Can't we say the same today? We can be involved. There can be changes of political governance in the the land. We can be involved in a democracy with all of those things going on, but our fundamental is still the same. We live as lives which are servant-shaped lives to those around because Jesus is our example. Jesus is the one who came as servant, and He's the one who lays down for us how we live in this world. We live, in a sense, we live what? We live gospel lives. We live lives which display good works. Do we do that? If we want to take how we should live appropriately in a society right the way through to the present day, I think one of the things that we really have to confront is that what Peter is telling us here is our priority is to live day to day exhibiting good works to those around us, caring and loving the society that we live in, having compassion for those around us, living in a way which is displaying the kind of compassion that Jesus displayed in this world, confronting injustice, yes, but essentially getting on day to day with those in our society displaying respect for authority, displaying respect for those who ultimately we would say, according to this, it is God who was put in power, however that changes, however that's reshaped, and saying, I will live in a way which displays honor to those around. We live in a very autonomous, self-focused culture today, don't we? Everything is about me and my. Everything is about me, mine, and my close circle at best. If if Peter's first hearers of this letter were used to the idea that we live in this kind of responsible to others society and they're suddenly told you've got freedom, they were reminded, don't use that freedom that you've now got in an inappropriate way. We live in a society of individual freedom. 
we need to almost hear the message in the opposite direction. Just because we live in a free, autonomous society where individual freedom is, is at the very objective of our focus, it's everything that we aim for, individual freedom is the absolute pinnacle, it is the goal of our democracy. Do not lose sight of the fact that we are called to be a people who are displaying outside compassion, love and care to the society that we live in. Living now. I guess we could sum it up by saying, well, we're living free, yes, but we're serving the world in which God has placed us in. You might be listening to this, considering the message of the Bible, and that actually brings for all of us a great challenge, doesn't it? Because what we're confronted with is one of the things that seems problematic for 21st century. The idea that I let go of my autonomy. I let go of my own governance of my life. You know, that's one of the fundamental things of the message of the Bible. It's that Jesus becomes our Lord. He becomes the one who we now serve. It sounds a scary thing, but I would just put it like this, throw this as a thought into the equation. I'm personally not too confident that I know all of the answers to how to govern my own life. I'm glad that He is my Lord even when I mess up, even when I stray, even when I rebel, I'm glad that He is my Lord because the guidance is outside of me. And His way is always just and good. 